Good to see everybody this morning. I do want to thank you for your prayers uh, concerning my, call it a health problem. Uh, slowly mending from that and uh, hopefully I'll get some more answers tomorrow. I go in and see uh, the doctor to follow up. So uh, appreciate everybody's expressed concern on my behalf. Dave is offered to step in this evening to preach, knowing that I'm still not feeling all the, the best, and uh, I have a hard time, as I told him, letting other people do what I'm supposed to be doing, but I said, this time I'll, I'll let you. <laughs> so, so he's going to preach this evening, Lord willing. This morning I thought we would ask the question, what about Christmas? Seems that this time of year, naturally, questions crop up about this particular holiday and whether or not we as Christians should be involved in it at all, or if it's something we need to abstain from. What it, what is appropriate, in other words. And so, we're going to simply begin by asking, well, what is Christmas? And I think everybody here probably could answer that question, but we'll try and answer it in a way that's a little more informative. If you look into history, you find that in 1870 is when... Christmas became declared as a national holiday for the United States. And we know, of course, that it's observed annually on December 25th. Now, we have a lot of different national holidays, don't we? But Christmas is kind of unique because it's observed by many people, not just in America, but in other parts of the world as well, as a religious observation or celebration in connection with the birth of Jesus Christ. And so that's where oftentimes questions emerge because as we look at how the world observes the holiday and what they associate it with, um, we start to wonder, well, is that appropriate? Should we celebrate Christmas for that reason or for any reason. Christmas in history, how did it all begin? Obviously, it had its roots somewhere further back than just when we as a country decided to declare it a national holiday. So how did it all get started here? The first recorded observance of Christmas as it's come to be known uh, as a celebration of Christ's birth uh, was in Rome, so quite a while ago, and that was in 354 A.D. At that time, Rome was under the rule of Emperor Constantine. And Constantine was unique in the lineage of leadership there because 
he was a Christian, unlike his predecessors. In fact, we go to the pages of the New Testament, we can read about leadership in Rome that was quite opposed to Christianity, can't we? We can see that several of the Caesars made it their primary purpose, or at least one of them, to destroy Christianity. So we find that Constantine is different. He actually converts to Christianity, and so he kind of has this shift in what he sees as important regarding all of the pagan holidays that existed at that time. And we know, of course, Rome had conquered a lot of other nations. And so even though they had taken them over, the peoples of those different countries and cultures still retained their own beliefs and religions and understanding about what they felt the true God was or gods. So with all that kind of in mind, there was this pagan celebration, and it celebrated the sun god, and it took place at the winter solstice, which if you look on our calendars today, you actually see that the winter solstice is always written in there on the notes, you know, certain days have certain significance, and you always see there on December 21st that it says, uh, such as the winter solstice. In other words, it designates the shortest period of daylight uh, in the year, where we have the shortest day, which is typically the 22nd, and then from there, the days start to expand and expand and get longer. So there was this celebration amongst the pagan cultures that had been conquered by Rome that celebrated this and paid homage to the sun. Now, the winter solstice even though it's on December 21st on our Gregorian calendars today, at the time, there was a different calendar that was being used. It was the Julian calendar. And on that calendar, uh, the winter solstice is on the 25th of December. So, Constantine said, well, in order to kind of overwrite this pagan celebration, we're going to Christianize it. We're going to associate this with something that relates to Christ. And that way we can slowly begin to replace these false ideas with the truth. And so, in a sense, he kind of had a noble purpose in mind, even though ultimately what he accomplished wasn't scriptural. There's a quote from Constantine regarding all of this, and He's quoted as saying, we need to take care of this. In other words, this celebration, this pagan ritual. And so his conclusion was, well, since Jesus is the light, since he is the true sun that rises, then we will celebrate his birthday on this occasion. So instead of celebrating the emergence of the sun, we're going to celebrate the emergence of the son of God, right? Because they didn't know, as we're going to see, when his birthday actually was, but this is a way we can associate something Christian with something pagan and accomplish something as as they saw it that would be good. 
Now, this was all in conjunction, of course, with the Roman Catholic Church. And if you look at the word Christmas, and you do a study of the history or the root of how that word came to be, you'll find it's actually a combination of two words. And those two words are Christ and Mass. We know in Catholicism, when they have a service, they call it what? They call it a Mass, right? And they come together and they have some kind of ceremony. Well, this particular Mass was in celebration of Christ. And so Christ, Mass, and over time that was kind of transliterated into the word Christmas. So that's kind of how all of this came to be as far as why people have associated the 25th of December with the birth of Christ in some kind of a official capacity. It wasn't really just some kind of random thing that happened. It, it had some, some purpose behind it, even though it was... Uh, again, not really guided by scriptural uh, foundations. Well, what does the Bible say about Jesus' birth? I think that's important for us at this point as we look at kind of how the holiday emerged and what its history is. And what do we really know about Jesus' birth as we read in the New Testament? Now, there's a couple places that we can go. First of all, in the Gospel of Matthew very first chapter there. We can start reading in verse 18. And it says there, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, Uh, Being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Now, Matthew does go on to talk about some things that happened after Jesus was born there. He talks about the wise men that came uh, to worship Christ. But I'd like us to come over here to Luke chapter 2. And notice what Luke records for us to know about these things as far as the actual event itself when Jesus was born, because that's what we're trying to, to analyze. So Luke chapter 2 and starting in verse 1 there, uh, it says, It came to pass in those days that a decree went out 
from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And the census took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. And he went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So obviously here we can also continue to read and we can see where shepherds were out in the field and they uh, they saw the, the angels there and were given a message to go and see the, the newborn king. And so all these other things obviously took place in connection with the birth of Christ. But as far as the actual event itself, that's the information we have. Well, when? When did all this happen? Well, you notice there that when we read, it didn't specifically tell us too much as far as the when of it, did it? But we can kind of put together somewhat an idea anyway. Now, we had noticed, obviously, the first two verses of Luke 2 just a moment ago. But there it actually gives us a a bit of a detail about at least what year it might have been in history. Because we know here that there was this uh, decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And that tells us that this census took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So that's, that's one clue. Now we also know that Herod was the king there of the Jews at the time. So that also gives us a, a period of time to work from. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, notice in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So, knowing those two individuals can help us know some things. We know that from secular history, Quirinius reigned from 9 to 4 B.C. And we know that Herod the Great is recorded as dying in 4 B.C., so right at the end of Quirinius' reign. Now, that still doesn't tell us what year it was, does it? But it kind of gives us an idea of at least the period of time in history that these things came to pass. What about the day, though? Do we have any idea what day or week or month? I think you're probably all starting to see that if we can't even nail down the year, we're probably not going to be able to nail down the the specific day either. Now, one thing that's interesting is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, I want us to notice the detail that's recorded here. And it says that, There were in the same country, in other words, in the same country as where 
Mary had just given birth to Jesus. There were shepherds that were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, it gives us this detail with the intention of going on to describe what events happened with these shepherds. But when you do some research into that region of the world and when the shepherds are out with their flocks through the year, you'll find that typically it's between the months of March through October and sometimes into early parts of November, just depending on the year. So that kind of tells us at least one thing. tells us that it wasn't December 25th, right? And the fact is that really we just don't know when Jesus was born. Now I want to remind us of one thing on that note. And we had studied this last Sunday evening, the passage in 2 Peter 1. But there in verses 2 and 3, Peter writes and says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So Peter says that we have everything we need. Everything that is pertinent for us to know, we've been given. So if we look at the evidence as we have, and we determine that there's not enough there for us to make any kind of concrete determination as to when Jesus was actually born, then that kind of tells us that God doesn't look at it as something that's all that important, does he? The fact that he was born is certainly important. And the fact that he was born, we should celebrate and we should rejoice. The fact that Jesus came into this world and in such a humble fashion, ultimately for the benefit of you and I and the sacrifice he would make. But God has not seen fit to tell us when he was born, and we also certainly don't see any kind of indication that a an official celebration in is as far as a religious observance uh, for his birth. Uh, we don't see any instructions about that uh, in God's word. So that leads us logically then to the question, well, then should we observe Christmas at all? Should we have anything to do with it? Well, we can certainly say that we shouldn't observe Christmas from a religious standpoint. We shouldn't do it because, well, I feel that God wants me to do this. Well, God hasn't given us any instruction to that end. So to try and do that and to try and push that on others as something that they should do would be kind of walking outside of the boundaries that God has given us. And we're to do what he said in the specific way that he said to do it and not add in our own thoughts and so-called wisdom. You know, the Apostle Paul had a lot of trouble with early Christians who had been Jews that had converted because they were wanting to bring in things from the old law of Moses. And in the old law of Moses, there were a lot of special days and special feasts and observances, things that they had to do as Jews um, to be right with God. And they wanted to bring that stuff back in to Christianity and say, no, we still have to do this in order to be pleasing to God. 
And so constantly we see that Paul is writing to them saying, no, you know, that stuff is not a part of the new law. And you can't mix the two things together. And so even though these passages are speaking about bringing in things from that old law, uh, the principle still applies to what we're talking about with Christmas, or we could say Easter for that matter. It's kind of the same type of thing. Or any other man-made holiday that would be observed in a religious manner that would be sought to bind upon people as Christians to say that uh, it's necessary to be right with God. So what do we read here? In Colossians 2 and verse 16, it says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which he says are a shadow of things to come. The substance is of Christ. A little further down there, Verse 20, he says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations such as do not touch, do not taste, do not handle? That's all stuff from the, again, the old law. These all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility and neglect of the body, but they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. If you look into certain religions, you'll see, of course, that just like the Jews had done, they had added in all these requirements, all these ceremonies and all these things to their worship and you know, this is the way you have to do it. If you go to a, I'm sorry to pick on the Catholics this morning, but if you go to a Catholic service, I heard somebody liken it one time to a game of head, shoulders, knees, and toes, where you're constant, you know, you're up and down and kneeling, and it's not to poke fun at them, but they have all this very intricate ceremony that's woven into their, their assemblies, and you're expected to go through those motions and do those things in just the right way. But none of that is, is found anywhere in God's Word, is the point. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, here Paul writes to those in Galatia about much the same thing. He says, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. And notice he says, I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. You know, don't go back to these these things and these observances and try and inject them into the law that Christ died to establish. And he even goes as far as to saying chapter 5 and verse 4, he says, you become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. And that could be any law we want to insert into there. In the context, it was the law of Moses. We could put the law of anybody, whatever ideas we want to inject in there, and it's the same point. We fall from grace when we try and make religion what we want it to be. We have to strive for that true 
pure undefiled religion that James describes there in chapter 1 of his letter. And one other passage uh, on that point that I wanted to look at is in Mark 7. So in Mark chapter 7, verse 1, we're going to just read down through verse 13. Uh, it says, The Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem, and when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition, notice, of the elders. So when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. There are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels and couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it's written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, this washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things that you do. He said, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father and his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you've handed down and many other such things you do. In other words, to kind of put what we read there in the latter portion of that into easier easier to understand terminology. When a person's parents would get up into old age and it would be time for their children to try and take care of them and help them out because they aren't able to do so themselves, you had these Jews who, instead of taking the money that they may have saved up to care for them, and do that God-given duty, uh, they were saying, well, I've donated that to the Lord, so I don't have anything to help you out with. And they would justify it by saying, well, you know, it was this gift that I made to God. And Jesus is saying, look, you've created this tradition and all these man-made regulations, and, and you're bypassing God's will in the process. So in all of this... You know, we see that, that men can very easily get caught up in their own vain ideas that are contrary to the will of God. You know, one of the, one of the sad things about the world is that when you look around the world and you look at people in general, typically the only times that you find that anyone thinks about Jesus is when it's Christmas time, and they're thinking about the little baby Jesus, or around Easter time, when they're thinking about the resurrected Jesus, 
And nobody ever takes any time to think about the Jesus that was suspended between heaven and earth dying and the reason that he did that, which is also the reason for which he came. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. But we can see the, the point I wanted to make from that is, is we can do the same thing with these kinds of, of observances today if we're not careful. We, we bind them as something that the church should be doing, the church should be involved with. And in doing so, even though we're celebrating something that in and of itself deserves celebration and is good to be noticed and recognized every day, uh, we kind of shift the focus away from where God intended it to be. So from a religious standpoint, we we should not observe Christmas as something uh, that celebrates Christ's birth and something that the church should be recognizing. You know, we don't have some kind of special service uh, to commemorate his birth and that kind of an idea. That would all be foreign to what the scriptures tell us. Now what about as a, a non-religious tradition? Well, I have an answer to that, and I'll expound upon it in a minute. But first, I'm going to let you hear what the Apostle said, because he was inspired, and I am not. Romans chapter 14, Paul wrote about these kinds of ideas. Verse 5 there, he says, One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. He who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat, and likewise gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Verse 9, he says, For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be both uh, Lord of the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So, what we draw from this is that there are things that we might do in our lives such as maybe celebrating a holiday, not from a religious standpoint. I think that's that point's been made plain. But we might choose to get together with our families on Christmas. And we might put up lights and pretty decorations and use the, the day as a day to be together with our loved ones and to give gifts to each other, to show our love for each other and, and have fun with all those kinds of things. And Paul is telling us here, that's fine. You're allowed to do these kinds of things, to have certain days that you do certain things and have certain customs. And he's talking here about things that are not interfering with God's will. You know, we're, we're not talking about doing something that's going to be in conflict with the plain instruction that we've been given by God. Now, sometimes you'll hear people go with the idea that, well, you know, if you look into the history of, like, the Christmas tree, well, that used to be a pagan thing, and 
you know, all these pagan observances and they were worshiping these false gods. And so if you have a Christmas tree, well, you're worshiping false gods. Now, come on. I call Thursday, Thursday, every week. You know, the origin of the word Thursday, it was originally Thor's Day. People used it at one point in history as a a day to celebrate the god Thor, who they felt was a real legitimate god who deserved our worship and adoration. Now, when I talk about Thursday, regardless of the history of all that, I don't do it from that standpoint, do I? So we need to be careful, and we're going to talk more about that as we go on. But as long as we're not violating God's law, or injecting something into his law and trying to make it binding, uh, when it doesn't say to do it, uh, then we have liberty to be able to observe different things and look at different days. And if somebody feels that they don't want to have anything to do with it, Paul says, fine, that's fine. You're allowed to do that too. You don't have to put up lights or do any of the stuff that your neighbors are doing. You do what makes sense to you. In other words, Paul is saying. And we should be uh, courteous to each other in regards to our preferences, is what he's saying. Don't sit there and judge each other and point the finger at each other and say, well, how dare you do that? Don't you know that, just like the example we talked about, we, we can easily cause strife when there shouldn't be strife at all. You know, another way we can look at Christmas as an opportunity Sometimes I think we're quick, again, as as I'll get to here. I keep wanting to get ahead of myself, but we're we're quick to to want to shoot people down and put ourselves up on the pedestal as uh, Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright and educate all these ignorant pagans that are around us. Uh, and of course, I, I use those terms in a joking way. In 1 Corinthians 9, notice the attitude that Paul conveys. Now, Paul, of course, was an evangelist. He went about teaching the gospel. That was his primary mission throughout the latter portion of his life. And notice he says in verse 19 there, as he's talking about preaching and his attitude towards his audience, etc., he says, though I'm free from all men, In other words, the law that I follow is the law of Christ. That's who I answer to. I don't answer to men and their made-up ideas or laws, etc. He said, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. What's he talking about there? Is he talking about the, the old law of Moses? Was he following the old law? As a religion? Well, no, but he would participate in customs of the Jews, things that were part of the Jewish culture, so that he could better relate to the Jews and have a a better ability to talk with them about Christ. We're going to see a specific example of that in a minute. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. So Paul looked for ways that he could better relate to people, in other words. 
In Acts chapter 16, we read about Timothy and some things that happened with him. It says, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman, and she was a believer. But Timothy's father was of a Greek heritage. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who are at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. So he took him, and notice he circumcised him, And it tells us that he did so because of the Jews who were in that region. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, that might seem strange because we know in various places, such as Galatians 5 and verse 6, Paul uh, preached against, uh, seemingly, the idea of circumcision at all. You know, in Christ Jesus, he says here, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but is faith working through love. And so we find him renouncing this binding of circumcision in various places, but yet he takes and has Timothy circumcised. And we say, well, why would he do that? Well, he did that not from a religious requirement standpoint, but he did so because of the culture in which they were in. He said, let's go along with this culture so that when you go about and try and teach people, you don't find a roadblock is put in your way. When you start to talk to them and they say, well, why should we listen to you, you uncircumcised Gentile, right? So you see how how he thought. Sometimes we do more harm than good when we only criticize people's ignorance. And so we must learn to commend and to guide. You know, this time of year, you know, somebody will come up and I have people at work and were you having a special Christmas service at your church? And, you know, I could get my Bible out and smack them across the head, but don't you know that we don't know when he was born? And I could feel real righteous. Yeah. Showed him, told him the truth. And how do you think I would fare going forward in time with that person if I said, hey, you want to talk about religious things? I don't want to talk to you, you meanie, <laughs> right? They, they wouldn't take to that very kindly, would they? Now, am I saying we shouldn't correct people if we have the opportunity? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying we can use the misunderstandings of our culture in regards to this holiday, the fact that they are focused at least on Jesus Christ, hey, that's something good, you know? It may be for the wrong reasons, and they may not really understand why they're doing this, and the fact that it's not really in the Bible, but, you know, at least they're thinking about it. And so, hey, maybe we can look at this as an opportunity to talk about Jesus and Talk more about Jesus. You know, we can start, yeah, it was a great thing Jesus was born. Isn't that wonderful? And then talk about what Jesus did. Why was it wonderful? Well, because of what he went on to do, right? And the hope we now have because he came into this world. So we should resist the urge to want to just denounce Anybody that puts up a tree or strings up some lights and says, uh, I can't believe you're involved in all that nonsense. You know? 
that's going to push people away. And we should be looking at the opportunity to encourage people to think more about Jesus, not just on the 25th. You know, you should think about him on the 26th too, and the next day and the following. And, you know, there's a lot concerning his will for you that that you should know. Now, having gotten through all of that, are there any religious observances in connection with Christ? I think it's important that we answer that before we conclude. Well, the answer to that is yes, there is. The religious observance that we have been instructed very specifically to observe uh, is that of the Lord's Supper. And we've done that here this morning. We gather around the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine as Jesus instituted it. And we do that to remember his body and his blood, the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Paul kind of summarizes all of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We read this passage a lot when we're preparing to partake of the Lord's Supper. In verse 23 there, Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. So we want to remember Jesus. We want to celebrate him. Jesus is saying, this is how I want you to do that. And this is what I specifically want you to focus on. It's not as fun, admittedly, to focus on his pain and his suffering as it is to think about when he was born and when he rose again. But Jesus says, this is, this is what's going to keep you focused correctly and keep you on the straight and narrow is to remember that suffering because I did that because of your sin. I did that to wash away your sin. And if you forget that, then you're going to wander away from where I need you to be. So he says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Now, if this was something that we should observe today, you'd expect to find instructions about, well, when did they do it, right? We were trying to find that with Christmas earlier, but when when was he born? What was the day? Well, with the Lord's Supper, we, we do have that information, don't we? We know that it was on the first day of the week when the saints came together that they broke bread, which in the New Testament was a common way to refer to this memorial supper, as Paul there on that occasion spoke to them and preached to them. So we do have the information that is necessary to be able to observe this memorial, this religious observance in the way God would have us to, which is something we don't see again with these man-made traditions. So in summary, I just wanted to make a few closing points. First of all, we need to remember that the boy Jesus grew up. It talks about in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52 that he increased in wisdom and stature and he went on to grow up and to fulfill his ministry and ultimately die 
on the cross. And so it's good to remember that he was born, but we have to remember that he grew up. The ultimate purpose of Jesus coming into this world was to be a sacrifice on the cross. Paul made the statement there in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15 that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. Paul says, of whom I am chief. That's why he came, was to be the Lamb of God. And finally, just as wise men from the East sought Jesus shortly after he had been born, wise men still seek him. And so that's a point that applies to each of us this morning. Are we wise men? Are we seeking Jesus Christ? Ephesians 5 and verse 17 tells us there not to be unwise, but to understand what the will of the Lord is. And so perhaps you've never come to Jesus, you've never sought his wisdom and his instruction for your soul. We hope that you will pursue that in the days ahead if you have done so to the point where you understand that he desires for you to confess him, to repent of your sins, to be baptized so that those sins can be washed away and you can rise to walk in newness of life. Then we would invite you this morning to come forward and begin a new life in him. Or perhaps you've wandered off the path and you need to return and make correction. I hope that these thoughts this morning have been beneficial to you. I hope that they'll serve us well as we go throughout the next week and this period of the year. And it will allow us to be successful as we try and continue to be the light of the world. If there's anyone in need at this time, as we stand and sing the song that's been selected, please come up to the front.